If you have your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to open up to Exodus chapter 18. This morning, we are going to cover the latter half of that chapter for several different reasons. Several weeks ago, uh, you were probably as struck as I was when you found out about the Buffalo shooting that took place in the grocery store on May the 14th. It killed 10 individuals, injuring three others, and was most definitely racially motivated in every way, as said by uh, those that were around. This past week, we watched and saw in horror the Uvalde shooting by a very troubled young man. And the question that we have before as people of God is what in the world are we to make of this? We can unequivocally call both acts incredibly evil and wrong and sinful. But what are we to, to make about this in a country that is deeply divided about this very issue? We have a constitution that provides us with the right to bear arms, yet in these moments like this, we see the political divide in the spectrum between red states and blue states. And how we are to go about solving something as atrocious and awful as what we've seen in both times most recently. What we've watched as Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and all those in between attempt to, in moments like this, sometimes apply what we would just call secular theory to what we would say are deeply spiritual problems. Deep within the heart of men, we understand this truth that we are deeply sick as a people. Human nature has not changed since time began, and we need unequivocally a spiritual revival and a renewal and an awakening in our land. That we can't fix secular problems unless we apply spiritual solutions and captivate the hearts of those that are deeply far from Christ that need to know him. When culture is sick, it's often an indication that the church is sick. When the church is healthy, it often bleeds over into the culture. When God's people are revering holiness and understanding righteousness and understanding his justice, and we live as a people that embody that, it affects our neighbors. It affects our workplaces. It affects those even at times that are deeply troubled. And what we have in Exodus 18 is we have a moment in time, if you will, where God begins to use a father-in-law to remind a, an older man that he was incapable of doing all things that he needed to, to help bring along some others that would share the load and that would carry the weight with him. And I think what's instructive about Exodus 18 is he gives some qualifiers, if you will, about what these men in particular are supposed to look like and what we should do as a church in this moment is we should put ourselves under the umbrella of this qualification. Not just pastors and ministers, not just elders, but all of God's people, male and female. And so we pick up beginning in verse 13, where the word of God says this. So the next day, Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? And why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from sun up to sundown? And so Moses says to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law says to him, what you are doing, it is not good, Moses. 
You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. For this thing is too heavy for you and you are not able to do it alone. We're reminded in chapter 17 of Exodus where God began to break Moses, if you will, in that moment. And you remember the scene where God tells Moses to raise his hands and to lift them up. And as his hands are lifted up, Israel prevails over Amalek. But as his hands go down, they begin to experience defeat. And so two friends come alongside Moses and they hold his hands up to see the Israelites prevail. In that moment, what God was doing is he was setting the stage, if you will, for Exodus 18 and reminding Moses that he could not go about doing God's work, his kingdom work. He could not do it by himself. And so the Israelites defeat Amalek. In the beginning of chapter 18, we are reintroduced to Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. And in the beginning half of 18 is really the story of the testimony of the faith that Jethro comes to know God as Moses knows him. And so then Jethro comes and he he seeks to speak some wisdom into Moses' life. We remember from previous messages that in this moment, conservatively, Moses was dealing with an estimated over one million other Hebrews who were now living in exile, wandering around in the wilderness. And so here he is, sun up to sundown, settling the disputes of the people, teaching them and reminding them about the statutes and the laws. And Jethro comes alongside him and he says, this is lunacy. What you are doing is not good for you and it's not good for the people. You are going to be worn out. You see, when we are in the ministry of ministering to people and make no mistake about it, the people, our, our mission, that are why we exist is to see those that are far from God to come to know Christ. But, but listen to me, if you're in the people business and you're walking on mission with God who has placed you in that business, the needs of people are endless. They never end. There's always something just along the horizon. There's always a greater need that is coming before us. There'll be greater needs that show up at this doorstep tomorrow and the following day and the day after the needs of individuals. It never runs out. But when we take on the responsibility to meet those needs, we have as much work as we can humanly handle. And the problem comes, according to the text, when we try to carry burdens that are bigger than the ones that God has actually called us to bear. The problem comes when we as a people don't understand that in order to use our gifts that God has given us wisely, then we must be aware of our own limitations. To use the gifts that he has given, we need to know our limitations. It is unwise that we can think often. And I think some of you need to hear this this morning that you can handle more and more and more and more. We certainly enter into seasons oftentimes in our own lives where it is certainly busier than others. But ultimately, if we continue to take on more and more and more and don't stay focused on on the very mission and the vision that God has given us and be single-minded in accomplishing that mission, then we can become harmful to ourselves and, and ultimately we can become harmful to the others. Notice what Jethro says to Moses, this isn't good for you and it is not good for the people that you are trying to seek to meet those needs of. 
that you can't do all of these things at all times. It can be hurtful to our families oftentimes if we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed too many times and too often and not take care of ourselves in the process. It affects others around us and it affects our own spiritual well-being. Can I say to you this morning as one of your elders and your pastor that maybe this week the most spiritual thing that you can do is just say no to something. To not allow something else to come, to, to bring in, unless we come to this place where we're willing to give up something so that I can accomplish that. I work with staff all the time and, and we have needs that arise up. And so oftentimes one of the conversations that happens with staff is, okay, I, I think that you want to do this, but my question to you is, well, what are you gonna take away in order that you can accomplish that? Because what happens in a, in a lifespan of an organization is over the years, then it becomes one more thing after another. And then pretty soon you find yourself doing things that you never did five, 10 years ago. And it becomes overwhelming and staff get worn out and run to the ground and families get worn out and run to the ground. In this moment, Jethro sees and he acknowledges that what Moses was doing was not good for him and it was not good for the people. And Moses, if you will, he was headed, my words, not anyone else's, he was headed for what I would just call a, a place of spiritual burnout in his life. You ever been there? You ever been to that place where, where all of a sudden you find yourself uh, in this position temperament-wise where, where you find yourself, you're, you're always irritable with everyone. You find yourself very short-tempered perhaps with other people. Uh, small little things in your life become major mountains before you. What was just a molehill has now become a mountain. Your anxiety level rises. Your lack of focus goes away. It begins to affect you physiologically with adrenals and all kinds of things. This becomes what we would just simply call the, the, the wellness and, and the mental health of an individual, especially in the age of post-COVID. And our anxiety levels are higher. Our burnout is more prone. Our irrationality is more on display. Our tempers are being manifested and seen. And so Jethro just simply says, Moses, this is not good. Continue reading with me in verse 19. And he says this, now obey my voice and I will give you advice. I don't know about you, but I know that for some of you here in this room, myself excluded, Getting advice in direct forms like that, perhaps from a father-in-law, may not be the best approach. But here in this moment, his father-in-law comes and, and he respects him. And he, he says, listen to my voice. I'll give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known in the way that they must walk and what they must do. Verse 21, moreover, Moses... You look for these able men from all the people. You find these men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Yet every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves so that it will be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. They will come alongside you. If you do this, verse 23, it says, God will direct you and you will be able to endure and all of his people will also go to their place in peace because you shared the burden. 
You see, oftentimes we lean into issues of church polity and governance, and we run to the New Testament, which we rightfully so, but so often of our governance here that exists here today and why there is a plurality is, make no mistake about it, it is partly rooted in Exodus 18 and what Jethro tells Moses, this is what should be done, that you share the burden. Elders who help rule the, uh, uh, with authority, and, and the New Testament refers to them as presbyters in, in different situations. Jethro's solution was to divide and to conquer, a division of labor, if you will. And what this was not in this moment, this was not God taking all matters of leadership away from Moses. It was just simply dispensing that leadership in, in a way that it was manageable and that others could share the load and to carry the weight with him and to walk alongside him and to be with him. Verse 24 says, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and he did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel. And he made them heads over all the people and the chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of ten. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to him, any small matter, they decided themselves. Just as Jethro had said, then Moses let his father-in-law depart. And then he goes away into his own country. I love that last little part in 27. That Jethro just says, here's what you should do, but he's not vying for any kind of power or authority in that moment. He just simply says, here's what is best for you and best for the people. Now I'm just going to go back and I'm going to serve my God quietly because my recommendation to you, Moses, was not so much so that I can now control the things and that I could be the one in authority over things. I'm just going to go away to my own country Amen. to divide it. Oftentimes, one of the questions that I get asked, in particular from folks that are visiting our church, and we're a Southern Baptist church, but yet our polity says that we have a plurality of elders. And so the question inevitably comes, how, how does that work with elders and, and staff members? And, and what role does the congregation play? And, and where do all of these things fit? You know that this summer coming up over the next three new members classes, we're going to answer that question close to 37 different times with 37 different new members that are fixing to integrate into the context of our church. And they all usually ask, how does it work with elders and staff? And the simple answer to that is this, that the primary job of the elders is to drive the vision of the church. So to say that, that we are a sending church that wants to make disciples and that our mission, what we do is we want to see people that are far from God come to know Christ. And what our job is, is that we guard that mission and vision. We guard it. And we make sure that the things in our church, that they reflect that mission and that vision. And we hold on to it tightly, not to mention we, we teach and, and, and we guard against bad doctrine. But most importantly, we teach good doctrine faithfully coming before God and his word. Elders drive the vision and then the role of the staff, the role of the minister is then this, to equip the congregation to accomplish the vision. And the ministers come alongside and we say, what do you need to, to be successful? How can I help you and come alongside you? How can I encourage you? How can I be your advocate? How can I be your coach? What is it do you need? And we will come alongside and we equip the congregation, the people to do the work of the ministry. This is what's God's best in the book of Ephesians where Paul explicitly says that. 
And so we establish who we are and and where we're going, and then we equip the congregation. What Moses was doing in this moment as he responds to his father-in-law, and he does as his father-in-law says, and as he believes that God has commanded him to. He demonstrates this teachable spirit in this moment. Part of his submission to the Lord was, was just his willingness to accept the good practical advice that Jethro had for his ministry, divide and conquer Moses. What you are doing is, is unsustainable, unsustainable for you. And there needs to be a change of direction. But I want us to hone in just for a few moments on these characteristics that existed here and beginning in verse 21, where he says to look for able men from all of the people. In other words, what that means is that they must have a level of maturity. Spiritually, they must be mature. Emotionally, they must be mature. They must have their house in order. They, they must have a high level of just people awareness and, and intelligence, able men who are capable of discerning sometimes but the gray areas that exist between the black and the white. The best answer or the better answer for the dispute. Able men. And then he goes on to say from all of the people. I find this interesting and I think it's a great model that our church in this moment it follows. They ought to be men, Moses, that aren't just your best friends or just in your small group. They ought to be not just men that, that only you know, but, but rather a representation of the entire congregation of a million some odd people. They ought to represent all of the generations at the table. And so we find these men, these able men from all of the people, but these men who fear God. They must fear him. They must understand that that they are dealing with a a holy and just God, a righteous God who who is set apart, a righteous God who doesn't minimize sin and, and is not indifferent to our needs. They must fear the Lord, for the psalmist says elsewhere that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Psalm 111. And the fear of God is the sense in which you understand how dangerous, just, and holy and righteous God is even towards the smallest of sin. That he is a dangerous God. For as the writer in Hebrews says, it is a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Yet though he is dangerous and though he is righteous and though he is holy, he has sent his son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us to reconcile his anger and to take out that anger and to show his wrath towards his son on your behalf and on mine so that we could be reconciled then to the father in that moment. But these men are are reliable and trustworthy. They are men who keep their commitments, who they they are characterized by by integrity and no dishonest gain, that they're not doing it for the wrong reasons. Not to have a say-so or some sort of place at the table. They are just simply men that want to humbly serve the Lord their God through the church or through the people that God has given. And so Moses heeds that advice. And then Jethro up and goes back home to his country. What a beautiful relationship there that exists and trust that exists there between a son and his, and his father-in-law. What a right relationship that exists there in that moment. But I want to say a couple of things to us and really just our broader thoughts on how we would characterize these phrases like able men who fear God, who are trustworthy and, and who will bear the burden alongside Moses, not for ill-gotten gain. These are men 
who walk closely in union with, with their God. They are men who have a relationship with him and understand his word and, and what his word means and how it applies and not just understanding what the word is, but they live according to this. I think one of the mistakes that we often can make in our attempt to acquire knowledge, biblical knowledge, theological understanding, to understand all the big words perhaps that the theologians use to understand the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic, is we often confuse the idea that biblical literacy is maturity. Biblical literacy is not to be confused with Christian maturity. You can have all the information in the world about the scriptures. You can understand all of the great theologians of the past, but it does not mean you will walk with maturity before our God. And oftentimes I think that we assume that if I just know this, that the maturity is often going to come. Do you know that I, I saw so many of my seminary friends that the more knowledge that they understood from an academic standpoint, that it was divorced from a personal relationship with Jesus. And what happened is they over time began to drift away from the Lord and not to the Lord. That when the knowledge is separated from the relationship and the, the desire to seek after him and to hunger and to thirst for righteousness, then it doesn't mean that we are going to be mature. Just as biblical literacy is not to be confused with Christian maturity, theological understanding is very different from practical holiness. Knowing the word of God and all the great theologians of the past doesn't necessarily make you holy. We can study history just even more recently and look over the past couple of hundred years and, and truth be said, some of the greatest cult leaders of our time, of our generation, some of the most evil men that have ever existed, guess what? They knew the word of God. Maybe not in the way that you and I understand it, but their knowledge of that understanding, it was devoid of a relationship with him. And what Jethro's doing in this moment with Moses, he's saying, listen, you know the statutes and you know the principles, but, but what this is going to ultimately lead to is, is not a good place for you and not a good place for the people that you serve. And so you share the burden. Because the truth is maturity is not about what you do with your mind, but rather about how you live your life. It's the application of the things that you know. And Moses needed a moment where, where his father-in-law just gently says, you know all of these things and you are still our intermediary before the Lord and we're gonna go to you so you can talk to God on our behalf in this moment. But Moses in this moment, Jethro saying, listen, uh, you need to live your life in a more sustainable way that shares the burden amongst the people to walk alongside other people. More simply put, how we say that here, it's why we say circles more than rows. We love that you're in the pew. We love seeing your faces and we love that you're here, that you bring your friends and your family. And we need this time. It's mandated in, in God's word that we come before corporately and, and we gather. But there is a movement after this. And we're simply saying this is that we cannot go at it alone. We desperately need each other. We need to know one another and we need to be known by one another. And so we jump into the circle and we give our life for the circle. 
and we share the burden alongside one another. We, we walk beside and, and, and we simply say, I'm with you to hold your hands up when you grow weary. I am with you to, to share whatever it is, whatever is mine is yours, what is yours is mine. And we share and we walk in humility and with graciousness and kindness towards one another. Moses was successful in, in, in by every definition up until this point. He had successfully been God's spokesperson, though he had stumbles and he took steps back and he, he took two steps back and one step forward, yet he kept moving forward. And, and now he finally finds himself in a, in a place where things are good and, and they're going to get even better. And, and God's about to do something miraculous in Exodus 20. But I think the caution here in this moment that we don't know the heart of Moses, I think it's a reminder to us today that successful leadership is not the same thing as a heart for Jesus. That just because I'm successful with the numbers and just because I'm successful with this or with that, it doesn't necessarily equate that my heart is bent towards and driven by Christ. Just because I'm known it doesn't mean my heart has really been cultivated for Christ. We saw that this week and last week, not just in the shootings that occur, but also what is going on in the life of our convention. As many of you know, last Sunday, there was a report that was released sort of documenting uh, one particular entity and uh, sort of discovering and we waived privilege with attorneys and against some people's better judgment and we did it. And I'm very grateful that we did it as a convention. And I think one of the legacy takeaways from the horrific report that was disclosed and, and the abuse that was taking place and the nothingness that seemed to be done for the victims. And, and, and this common theme that, that we hear somewhere in the midst of that is that we can't disclose these things because it'll affect our cooperative program giving and our, our missions dollars and our evangelism efforts. The absolute lunacy of that. The success of what we're reporting in the numbers, but not the heart of Jesus for those who have been abused. There's this disconnect that exists there in that moment. And I don't want to say too much about it because there are a lot of things that are still in the process of, of working. And one of the things that I said to one of you this week is that the men that are listed in that report, they are not the best of Southern Baptists. That we are far better than what has been disclosed in that moment. That we are far more caring in that moment. Yet, God has brought to light what was in the darkness, and I'm grateful that he did. But the truth is, we ask the question, where do we go from here with that? And it's a long road and a long journey. The bottom line is this, for us at our church, if you physically assault a minor or an adult, you abuse your authority, spiritually speaking, at this church, you are done. Not to mention, legally and lawfully, we will immediately call the police. And we will immediately have conversations. That there is no privacy in that moment because you are legally required by law, especially in the case of a minor. We will, to my dying breath, defend and protect those who have been victims of abuse. We don't sweep that under the rug and pretend it didn't happen for the sake of missions dollars. God will take care of the missions dollars. But we take care and steward what is in front of us. 
And I'll say more about this later on and in the weeks ahead as we approach Anaheim here very shortly. But I wanna end today, whether you're aware of that report or nominally aware of that report, I would encourage you to verse yourself on it. I just, I I want our church just to pray and to seek the Lord. Like our convention needs to pray and seek the Lord. We, we need to enter into a season of, of lament and repentance and, and own what we were negligent of if we, if we knew of it and ask, really just plead before God to be merciful to us Amen. and beg of him. And so as Bill and Elaine come, I'm gonna ask that we just enter into a posture of prayer, whether you seek to stand or, or to sit where you are or to come down to this alt- altar and to pray and and to ask for God's forgiveness, for his mercy over our convention, which we love, which we care for, which, which deeply matters, which we are deeply invested in at this moment, and that there would be at some point a turn and a better day that comes before us. But let us first rightly deal with our God, for he is holy and just and he is righteous. So would you bow with me? Would you go before the Lord and would you just simply pray and ask, Lord, would you be merciful to us? Would you bring to light the things that have been done in the dark? Lord God, we know that you do not need the Southern Baptist Convention. Father, the truth is the Southern Baptist Convention, it needs you. And so, Lord, I pray that in the days ahead, in the months, and even in the years ahead, that we would lean into you, that we would trust you, that we would find hope in you, that we'd find comfort in you, to always do what is right before you, to walk with integrity before you and character, to be able men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy, and who hate a bribe. Father, let us embody that as we move forward. Let there be great times of repentance. Let there come great times of revival and awakening. And Father, I pray that today, if there are any here today that are far from you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Through your Holy Spirit working in their hearts, that you would change them, that you would bring them to a place of repentance. They would call upon your name and be saved and repent of their sin. Father, as always, we pray for grace and blessings on this church. And we ask that you would help us not walk wise according to our own eyes, but walk wisely before you, humbly before you. And so, Father, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us humility? Would you fill us with the heart of Christ? We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said.